as we venture into the murky waters of everything you've been told never to bring up at holiday dinner. You'll meet a guy, someone you can trust, a battle-tested, common-sense leader who knows that an extra pair of dry socks just might save your life. That wise old sage has arrived, and he is shouting the Schmidt Show battle cry. Schmidt heads unite! Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, time appropriate greetings depending on where you are found in the world and where you happen to find this podcast in the world. Thanks for joining me. My name is Brad Schmidt. I am the host of the Schmidt Show podcast and uh, today we're going to talk about the core values of the American experiment, the, uh, the republic that is the United States of America. What are they? In your mind, if you had to list them, what would you list? I found a few websites um, and a few various scholars that have done their best to lay out what they consider to be the founding principles of or the core values of the United States of America. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to uh, try to nail some of those down. I'm not sure I agree with all of these. I'm not sure... Um, I disagree with any of them or agree with all of them or 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 not. I, I guess I just wanted to uh, take the time to have the conversation following the Fourth of July week and the the celebration of the what two hundred and forty third I believe anniversary of the United States and talk a little bit about what it is that we were founded on. Where did we come from as a nation? Where are we today? 243 years on down the road, and are we heading in the right direction in all of this stuff? Because there are some that would tell you we are not headed in the right direction. There are some that would tell you we are. Uh, there are probably some that have no idea. And so we're going to try and uh, nail some of this down. One of the things that I am a bit concerned about is that we may be abandoning some of these core values as we uh, look around the world and and do the things that we do and get involved in the things that we get involved in, pass the laws that we pass, and so on. So that's what we're going to talk about. I wanted to, first of all, though, apologize uh, for last week. We were intending to have Congressman Kelly Armstrong on the show uh, for an interview and to have him kind of tell his story of how he ended up in the world of politics, uh, being a North Dakota boy who now finds himself in the middle of some of the most uh, important legislation and important political times in our nation's history uh, and how he got there. And we've had to postpone that. Uh, unfortunately, he had a he had a couple of meetings that he had to get to that that kind of took away from uh, the time that we were supposed to have with him. So we're we're working on uh, getting that sorted out and getting that back in order and, and kind of back on the right track. So I apologize for that. We will get that done and we will get back on the right track with that as well. But uh, moving forward, I wanted to, like I say, talk a little bit today about individual liberty, federalism, limited government, representative government, some of these various things that are 
are considered to be founding principles. Like I say, I've taken these from a couple of different websites, a couple of different... Uh, one of them was a, a study by a sociologist named Robin Williams. No, not that Robin Williams, a different one. Um, another one was taken from the discussion of... Uh, I, I think it was a, a, a contest for high school students um, to determine what they believe to be the founding principles and and so on. So we're going to we're going to jump into all of these here and and talk a little bit about them as the uh, as the show goes on today. So um I would also covet your thoughts on it as well. Shoot me an email to brad at the com or um, go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Schmidt show. Share your comments there. What do you believe the basic founding principles or the core values, as they say, um, are of the United States? So um, that's where we're, we're going to be going with this. So the first one, I already mentioned, as I said, uh, according to I don't know who this is, the Bill of Rights Institute um, org. You can there's a link to this in the uh, in the show notes. Um, I, I'm not sure where they stand as far as uh, their politics, right, left, or or center. I've never really paid much attention to them. Um, they're out of Arlington, Virginia, so. Um, this is the first I'd heard of them, but I thought they had an interesting list. Um, I don't think their list is quite uh, complete enough. I think there's more to it than than what they've got here. Um, but we will, uh, we'll, like I say, we'll um, we'll talk about it as we go on through the the show today. So the first one on their list is the the concept of individual liberty. They say listed below are the founding principles, the central values on which our country was founded. You'll find suggested definitions for each principle. So the first one, like I said, is individual liberty. They say each person is born with freedom from arbitrary or unjustified restraint. See, and I, and I think this is an important concept to talk about. And in fact, I got an email um, from a listener last or, or from last week's show um, talking about or, or having taking some umbrage um, quite respectfully, I, I would say, um, certainly wasn't, uh, it didn't come across as inappropriate or angry. It just was a well thought out, uh, rebuttal to some of the things that Noah and I talked about last week. And he, he essentially said, look, th- we want some of this stuff. We want some regulation on the internet. We want some regulation in various areas of the wor- of the, uh, of the discussion as it relates to you know, whatever is going on on the internet, there, there is an important place for these various, uh, various regulations. And, um, as I read through his email, I had to actually agree with him. Um, there is some important place for regulation and this definition, um, by whoever the Bill of Rights Institute is, their definition of individual liberty is important because it says, each person is born with freedom from arbitrary or unjustified restraint. Now, there is some justified restraint, right? We have some laws, things like you can't commit murder. That's illegal. You can't rape someone. That's illegal. You can't steal from someone. That's illegal. So some of these some of these laws are justified, and they're not arbitrary, right? We all know you don't have to teach 
uh, people that murder allowing for or just you know, not making murder illegal is bad for society, right? If anybody can just go out and murder their neighbor, murder their wife, their husband, their parents, their kids, whatever, if anybody can just go out and murder whoever they want, then there's there's essentially just total chaos and destruction throughout society. So that is not an arbitrary line. We know why we have good reason as to why this particular law exists. We know why it is important that property rights exist, and you can't just take whatever you want without fairly compensating the person you are taking it from in in a mutually agreed-upon contract. There is value in that, that restraint, right? So, And there are other things that are justifiably restrained. We understand that certain, you know, drugs, and I don't mean like recreational drugs, but certain medic medical drugs, like there's there's a good reason why those things are restricted to prescriptions only. Sometimes it seems strange and and one can argue what those are, and I think that's a fair discussion to have is does the FDA really need to be regulating this, that, or the other drug? But as it relates to some of this stuff that is very specific use drugs, you know, a, a chemotherapy drug or something like that, um, those things are very um, intentionally and purposefully and rightfully so restrained or restricted to um, being only available on the advice and or prescription of a doctor. So that is a that is that is an important part of individual liberty because without a a a justified or purposeful restriction, if there is just freedom without any sort of regulation at all, it's not really freedom, it's anarchy. And anarchy almost always leads to tyranny. And so it is important to have that as part of the, 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 the discussion when you start talking about individual liberty. The second one on their list is federalism. They say in this system of dual sovereignty, the people delegate certain powers to the national government while the states and the people retain all other powers. Now, this one is a little bit more... Um, how do you say it? This one's a little bit more, I don't want to say abstract, but there are certain things that we can argue as to why this is the federal government's role or why it is the the state government's role or why it is left up to the people individually and so on. Like there's there's a lot of there's a lot more gray area in this than there is in some of the others. Um but the 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 system of dual sovereignty was set up by the founding fathers intentionally because they knew that even just the original 13 colonies were much larger were much more diverse in their in their geography much more diverse in the various resources that they contained and or controlled it was much more uh, spread out in in geographical area and much therefore much harder to kind of put a one size fits all the king gets to decree a particular law and it just is magic for everyone and works they they understood that it was very or going to be very difficult to have any sort of one size fits all kind of laws now there were some that they knew were simply going to be 
you know, the, the, the national defense was something that they understood fit very well in under the role of the federal government. But they also recognized that there needed to be um, kind of not, not an exception, but, but a, a, an allowance for the individual um, defense, the individual defense of individual citizens, the individual defense of the various states. Therefore, we have, and they didn't start this, but they, we have what has become now, today modern, the National Guard and things like that, that were more specific to each individual state for the very simple reason that each state, um, as I said earlier, contains a very diverse and and very um, eclectic sort of approach to or or containment of resources and and things like that. Not to mention cultures. You know, the culture in I live in North Dakota. The culture in North Dakota is very different from the culture in Southern Florida. In fact, the culture in Southern Florida is actually quite different from Northern Florida. In fact, Northern Florida fits more. Well, you get up into the Panhandle, fits more with the deep South of you know Alabama, Louisiana. Mississippi, those sorts of places, then it does fit, then, then it fits with Miami. Those two, that just within that one state, there's a difference of culture that is, uh, is quite obvious a lot of times. So there was all sorts of reasons why this dual sovereignty was important. Like I said, it does get a little bit more gray and it does get a little bit more um, interesting when you start to kind of break it down because you'll have different cultures or different um positions and and things even within smaller geographical areas like the county that I live in just in the county that I live in in North Dakota on the on the east side of the county we had the red river of the north and it's very fertile you know black dirt works great for farming certain types of crops as you get out away from the Red River Valley, or or as you move away from, or start to move away from the Red River, the even in that little county, the culture begins to change a little bit. The various farming and 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 uh, uh, what do you call it? Ecological husbandry um, begins to change a little bit, and it's a different kind of experience. There's different, you know, we're, the east side of the state has the second, third, third largest city. In the state, yet the western part of the the county has um, has much smaller communities. We've got an air force base that has all sorts of of people from all over the country, and so even within these very small geographical areas, there's differences that need to be addressed. And what works for the city of Grand Forks doesn't always work for the greater portion of the county. Of Grand Forks, so this is part of the reason, and it's not the only reason, but it's part of the reason federalism was so important to the founding fathers, and why they determined it to be a part of the uh, the the experiment that we have come to call the United States of the government, limited government. Uh, the national government has only those powers granted to it. This is their definition of it. The national government has only those powers granted in the Constitution. If a power is not listed, the national government is assumed to not have it. And that's actually specifically laid out in the Tenth Amendment. That's one of the things the Tenth Amendment says uh, specifically. The Tenth Amendment um, of the United States Constitution uh, reads thusly, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, 
are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So they put this in place in the Bill of Rights. They specifically said this is an important part of our designing of this new government. The, the national government, the federal government has to be limited because they recognize that an overarching or an overreaching federal government could begin to put in place laws that don't work in these various locations, could put in place regulations that don't fit for the, the, the same or fit the same for every single locale. Like, for example, the, the pollution laws, the various uh, environmental laws that are in place in New York City um, are just somewhat silly where I live. Not that it's not important to take care of the clean air and the clean water and all of those sorts of things, but there are industries and there are things in place and 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 companies and corporations and things that that exist and and provide services and provide equipment and and products in the state of New York that don't exist in North Dakota. So we don't need a law against this that or the other. We don't need um a law in favor of this, that, or the other. There are certain things that we have happening in our state that just don't happen anywhere else or in any other state. And the same goes for them. There are laws in North Dakota that we have on the books that would not make sense in places like North Dakota, or uh, New York or California and so on. So the uh, there needs to be um, a limited government that prevents them from overreaching that allows the state of North Dakota to make laws that fit for North Dakota and and even though they may not fit for anywhere else. A representative government, a Republican system in which, this is their def definition, I keep forgetting, this is their definition, a Republican system in which the people elect representatives to represent their interests as they make and carry out laws. See, this is, this is the... One of the beauties of the United States is that we are not a democracy. And you've heard the Hig and I talk about this at, at great length from time to time, is that a, a pure democracy is two pedophiles and a mother determining the age of consent. The mother will likely lose that battle. I believe it was Benjamin Franklin said that a, a democracy is two wolves and a sheep having a discussion on what's for dinner. <laughs> and he said a, a well-armed sheep, a republic is, I don't remember how he worded it, but it's something along the lines of um, the Second Amendment is, is a well-armed well, uh, well sheep contesting the vote or something like that. So I don't remember the exact quote, and I'm sure I butchered it quite badly, but you get the point. A representative government is important is that in that it is nearly impossible I mean, if, if we had to vote as a nation on every single law that was passed by Congress, if we had to have a ratifying vote of the people, the expense, the cost, all of those sorts of things would be astronomical. But additionally, um, just the logistics of making something like that, it would be nearly impossible to get anything done or move anything forward. So there is an important part for the representative government to play. Like we as a people uh, elect, we, we get together and we all say, hey, a majority of us believe that you know Billy Bob is the best guy to go to Washington and represent our state. And, you know, Sally Joe is the is the best person to go alongside of Billy Bob and represent our state. And 
the way the representative system works, you know, outside of the Senate, the, the in the in the House of Representatives, it 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 breaks it down even further into, as I mentioned earlier in the discussion of federalism and limited government, it breaks it down into even smaller geographical areas because the people who would represent New York City may not represent the same uh, views of the people of the greater northern New York, upper upstate New York. Same with California. The people who represent Los Angeles and, and San Francisco may not be the same people who would who would effectively or accurately accurately represent the people who live in Northern California and so on and so forth. I mean, this is fairly obvious. You don't really have to think too much about this to go, oh yeah, well that makes sense. Um, so the the beauty of a representative government, and we could get into the the repealing. I would love to see a repealing of the Seventeenth Amendment. I would love to go back to a time when the Senate uh, was elected by uh, the senators were not elected by popular vote, but they were elected by the the House of Representatives or the Congresses of the individual states. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and I'm not going to get into that today. I don't really have the time to 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 have that entire discussion, but that is an important part of um, the the way Washington works for the people and Washington works for the individual states as opposed to Washington working to, for Washington or Washington working for the party that's in the majority. I would I would suggest that we would lose a lot of the partisan um, bickering. We would lose a lot of the, the, the partisan divide if we would go back to, because the only, go back to a time when the senators were elected by the, rep, the, uh, the congresses of the individual state, because it would, it would make them beholden to the people of their state and not beholden to the the Chuck Schumers or the Nancy Pelosi's or the 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 Mitch McConnells or or anybody else. They wouldn't be beholden to anyone in their party. They would simply be beholden to the people back in their state. And it would bring back, I think, uh, a lot more um, a lot more civility and wisdom to the to the Senate and again I'm not going to get too much farther into that we'll have maybe have to have that discussion uh, another day um, the sec the the next one that they they list in their list from the Bill of Rights Institutes is private property their definition being individuals have the right to obtain and control possessions as well as the fruits of their own labor and this is where the discussion of socialism becomes such a problem within the United States is that the idea that that we do not have or or as individuals would not have um, the right to control our possessions and even our the fruits of our labor like that becomes a real problem in a hurry because if we don't have the right to control our own quote unquote destiny. Um, if we have to give that over to the, the to society, over to the community or the commune, um, the the incentive for success goes away. Uh, the The founding fathers understood that there was something um, that was deeper than just selfishness that that they allowed for and even required um, private property to be an important part of our ideology in our our system of government that that it it trickled down from the very top of the top to the bottom of the bottom that this thing 
that I hold in my hands, this this area of land that I own, that this 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 segment of the 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 whole that I own it, that it's mine, that I control it, that I get to make the decisions that on how it is um, distributed, sold, kept, saved, you know, all of those things. Like I get that. Um, I get that power to make those decisions. It's it's part of the reason that that I get so frustrated with with uh, sales or uh, not sales tax with uh, property taxes in the United States. The single most immoral tax in the United States right now is property taxes. in In most places in the United States, if you buy a house. You buy the house, you pay the mortgage or whatever it is that you pay. But in the meantime, and after paying off the mortgage, or if you bought the house with cash or whatever it is, you never truly own that property, whether it's farmland or whether it's a home in a, commu- in a community uh, in, or in a city or, or whatever it is, if it is real estate, essentially, you in the United States never really own that property. That property, you perpetually pay rent, essentially, to the government to maintain that property. And if you don't pay the property taxes on it, they will eventually come and seize it. They will take it from you and sell it to someone else for the, to, in order to recover the property taxes. In, in, in the community that I live in, the average home sells for about $221,000, uh, and the, the average uh, property tax is somewhere around three thousand to five thousand dollars a year, and so essentially, what's going on is that the the average homeowner in my community is paying somewhere between three hundred and four hundred to four hundred and fifty dollars a month rent to the government on top of their mortgage if they have one, or in perpetuity, and even to the point that if they they die and leave their their home in an inheritance to their children they pay an additional or their children will pay that 300 to 400 and whatever dollars a month in rent to the government just to maintain that property just to maintain control of that property so they never really truly own anything as it relates to real estate in the United States and to me it goes against the very founding principles upon this upon which this country was founded and so that is if there were one thing that needs to change more than any other in the United States, it's the way we do property taxes. And I'm not opposed to all taxes. I'm not a. I'm not one of these that there shouldn't be any taxes and the government should do whatever they need to do to raise money or whatever. But the idea of of a you know what we call a consumption tax or a sales tax or whatever. You buy a hundred thousand dollar house, you pay you know five percent, ten percent, eight percent, whatever the number is. I don't. It's not really the point of the discussion. A one time sales tax on that property. But from that point on, you own it. That property is yours for all eternity. And no one can take it from you for not paying taxes on it. Because otherwise, it's not really that you you never really own the property. It essentially is owned by the federal government or the state government or the county government or whoever controls the property tax in your local jurisdiction. And they maintain that property. You are simply renting it from them through the payment of your property taxes. And that, in my opinion, goes entirely against one of the most important founding principles of the United States. Um, the other one says, all men are created equal. 
It says there is no natural, this is their definition, there is no natural class of rulers among people, and everyone is born with the same unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, I, I'm not, <laughs> this one is a little bit of a, of a, uh, not a problem for me, um, because I believe that all men are created equal, and I and I do believe that there is no quote unquote natural class of rulers among people. However, there is an important point to be made, and I've talked about this. I think it goes all the way back to like one of the very first episodes I did that a class system and or order system to society is important, not based on race or based on uh, you know wealth or or anything like that but the fact that we need people of all levels of society for society to function we need people from all levels of and all manner of 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 value to society we need people to work at restaurants and and in service jobs and and things like that in order for society to function we need doctors of the highest order who have years and years of schooling and 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 in extremely highly specialized um expertise in various areas to you know to treat cancer and to 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 treat various you know rare diseases and heart issues and all those sorts of things. And we also need nurses to, to take care of, of the, the, the patients in the various hospitals. And we need the, the janitors in the hospitals to keep the hospitals clean. And we need administrators in the hospitals to manage the business of the hospital. And we need, um, you know, shuttle drivers to, to pick people up in the parking lot. If it's a great big hospital, all those sorts of things, we need people of all for a lack of a better word, all classes. We need people at all levels of society in order for society to function well. If everybody in the society was a, a doctor, there would be no one to do any of the other jobs. And I think that's fairly obvious. So uh, I do believe that all men are created equal as it relates to um, humanity. But I think it is also important to point out, in addition to that, that there is an important place for so many members of society. And some would argue that some of the most important members of any society are not always the doctors and the lawyers and the celebrities and the, the, the elite rich and business owners. But many would argue, and, and I think there's a fair argument to be made, that some of the most important members of society are the ones that will never be heralded for any sort of, of grand achievement or, or, um, explanation or, or uh, exclamation of, um, of heroism in, in any way. And yet they are, they are the folks collectively that make society run and run well. Uh, and then the last one that they list, and this is where I think they get a little bit, um, where they kind of run out of steam on this is because there's so much more to the, to the founding values or the core values of the United States. This, their last one they say is the separation of powers and checks and balances. Um, they said their definition being the constitution establishes a system of distinct powers to prevent an accumulation of power in one branch of government and to ensure that each branch can stop the others from growing too powerful. Now, this one is actually part of the problem um, in, in our nation today, I guess you could say, 
And it's not so much that the separation of powers and, and the checks and balances are the problem, but the fact that we've abandoned it. And I've had this conversation with several congressmen in various interviews, and I've had this conversation with a couple of senators and even a, a, a governor or two, that the, the problem being that we've ooh, a little bit of thunder. I don't know if that came through on the microphone, but um, we got a little bit of a storm going on here. A little bit of thunder rumbling through the, the, uh, the Schmidt Show studio. Sorry about that. It, it, uh, it took me by surprise. Um, we don't usually have thunder and lightning this early in the morning where, where I am at. So, um, anyway, sorry, caught me off guard. The separation of powers and checks and balances is not the problem. It's the fact that we've abandoned it. Like the, the Congress has, has delegated so much of their power and authority to other various unelected bureaucratic agencies that they are no longer keeping each other in check or or maintaining the separation of powers. The the Congress is turning over its um, power of of regulation and or oversight or you know whatever that power is to organizations like the EPA or the FCC or or whatever these other various regulation. Uh, the SEC, the various regulatory bodies, which unfortunately oftentimes fall under the control of the executive branch. And so you've got the, 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 the legislative branch um, leaving its powers or delegating its powers to the executive branch. Then you've got the judicial branch that is, is trying to at times usurp the power of the legislative branch by as we've all talked about legislating from the bench, and it doesn't really matter what side of the aisle you're on, right, left, or, or center, um, there are probably some legitimate arguments for each side of, of both um, to, to argue that the, 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 the judicial system or the judicial branch of the government has, has used its power to, to quote-unquote, legislate from the bench. And and that is a significant problem. Then, of course, the the executive power or the executive branch, in my opinion, has gotten way too powerful in the United States and, and has uh, taken on the powers of the legislature, of course, using the the power of the executive order. And this isn't just a, a presidential thing under President Trump or Obama or Bush or whatever. This is this goes back a very, very long way. And and presidents for a long, long time have been abusing the um, in my opinion, the the uh, the power of the executive order. And I don't remember if um, if Lincoln was using the same sort of 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 uh, executive order as we understand it today, but uh, President Lincoln did some really kind of you know he's he's hailed it as heralded sorry hailed or heralded as the as the uh, the great leader and all that kind of stuff and a lot of things rightly so he was a, he was a great president and and did some amazing things and if it it, it was under his leadership that we. Uh, abolished slavery and all of those sorts of things, but Lincoln was not perfect either, and he did some really terrible things. Um, and 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 a lot of people would argue, and and I'm one of them, that it was under Lincoln that we began to see this this march towards um, the expanded role of the federal government. And and I think that's a a fair argument to make, and maybe another topic for another episode, but. There is there is definitely some discussion to be had about 
um, how the 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 separation of powers or the idea or the concept of checks and balances has been um, has been um, weakened at the very least. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say um, as to say um, eliminated, but it's certainly been weakened. And so that was the end of the list from the Bill of Rights Institute. Uh, Bill of Rights Institute. Uh, the next list that I've got is. Um, this is from Amy Trulin, who has a master's degree in history, English, and theology. Uh, she's taught college courses in English and religious education classes and currently works as a freelance writer. I, I don't know who she is or, or what her politics are, but this was one of the ones that I found that had an interesting list. They talk about, she also talks about liberty as one of the others uh, talked about. Another one that she talks about is self government. She she quotes it or defines it as this, self-government is the value that declares that citizens have a say in how their government is run. They are the primary source of the government's authority. They participate actively in the political process, and the government exists to promote their well-being. Now, that I believe is certainly a core value or a founding principle of the United States, but it is another one that I feel like we're abandoning. That we are we are walking away from in in a recent election here in my own community as an example, um, we had a mayoral election in 2016, in June of 2016, prior to just a couple of months, obviously prior to the presidential election, and in that election, as I hear on my local radio show on my terrestrial radio show again, which if you want to listen to, you can listen to on KNOX Radio. Uh, in Grand Forks, North Dakota, it's 1310 KNOX AM, 107.9 KNOX FM. We're also on the internet. It's KNOXradio.com. If you're not in the KNOX listening area, you can listen to us live on KNOXradio.com or we've got an app if you just search for uh, like News Talk 1310 or News Radio 1310 on your various um, uh, streaming or your various uh, app stores and things like that. We've got an app as well that you can listen to. Um, but as I talked about, or as I hear regularly on my terrestrial radio show, people were, are, were, and are continuously and constantly complaining about how badly they disapprove of the current mayor. He's been the mayor for 12 years. I think by the time he's done with this current, um, uh, term, it'll be 16 years. He's been the mayor and people are just generally disgusted with, with the with the way he has performed his duties as mayor as of late. Now, granted, I do a conservative talk show, and it is certainly um, a, a an audience that is biased and and can very easily become an echo chamber, and I'm willing to acknowledge that. Um, but all of these people, if if they're even representative of a a you know a, say a 35 to 40 percent stake in the in the overall city they they still um aren't getting out and doing the job to that needs to be done as citizens in the voting booth because we saw less than it was i believe it was less than 19% it was just over 18% voter turnout and and in in a city the size of about and I don't know. It's about fifty-five to sixty thousand people, something like that. Um, less than nine thousand people voted for for the mayor race, and it was it was literally um, 
I don't remember the the actual numbers, but it was something like three percent of of the community in the end decided the mayor's race. And so we are giving up, we are abandoning so many of our founding core principles that I'm I'm beginning to fear that our nation may not survive. And if we do not um if we do not hold this this particular core value, if that's what you want to call it, if we do not hold that sacred and and get involved in the process and vote and and be involved in the legislative process and contact our legislators and and send them emails and tell them how we feel on the various things and call the switchboard in Washington and call the switchboard at our local in our at a state level and and talk to our county commissioners and go to the various ward meetings or or precinct meetings of your local city and and get involved in the various levels of government then we really have no one to blame but ourselves the 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 core value in my mind in in my opinion um of self government is probably one of the single most important um core values that this nation has has in its repertoire um, to combat and to fight against the tyranny of emotional, um, I, I don't know what else you'd call it, the, the fight against the tyranny of um, culture, if that's the right way to say it. Um, another one that she lists, and this one is equality. We already talked a little bit about that. Individualism is another one that she talks about. Um, on this one, uh, she says individualism is the value that committed to, that, that is committed to independent self-sufficiency, private initiative, and personal economic growth. Individuals must be in control of their own lives and be able to make decisions without undue influence from the government or society. And this is a problem that we're also abandoning in the, in the abandoning of individualism, individualism for communism or for socialism, we are giving up our rights and and not only are we giving up our rights but we are taking away the pride in i created this i did this i have done this thing i have accomplished this experience or this event i have done what needs to be done to take care of my family and my friends and i've got a little bit left over and therefore i have the ability to help make society better and when that incentive is gone and the destruction of individualism continues or, or expands, um, we will continue to see, um, as Ayn Rand would say, there's more people in the cart than pulling the cart. And when, when that happens, the, the people finally left pulling the cart will simply give up and walk away and go find a new cart. So that was a couple of hers. And apparently I just noticed in this that you have to sign up for some account to get the rest of hers. And I'm not honestly willing to sign up for that. So um, a couple other ones in a, in this study I mentioned earlier by Robin Williams, not that Robin Williams, a different one. He's this guy's a sociologist. Um, he also talks about freedom and individualism. And he talks about idealizing what is practical. Now, this one was an interesting to me, and, and I, I think this is where we're going to end because we're going to run out of time. But he says, idealizing what is practical. Many historians believe, and I'm quoting from his article here, many historians believe that most of the beliefs and values which are characteristically American emerged within the context of the frontier experience. Survival in the wilderness was best achieved to robust individualists. 
Survival experiences also explain the American tendency to idealize whatever is practical. In America, what works is what counts. Incentiveness, or sorry, inventiveness was necessary for survival. This can-do spirit is something Americans are proud of today. They like to think they are natural, born-to-do-it-yourselfers. A variety of self-help books proves this to be true. That is an important part of, of who we are as a nation. And I believe a, a, a vital part of what we became or how we became what we have become in that the, the practical nature of the founding fathers and, and not just the, the official founding fathers, but the, the founding members of the nation, the citizens who understood that it was simply practical to not have to be controlled or or manipulated or forced into submission to a tyrannical king. It was simply practical. It just, it made sense. Like, why would we pay taxes on stamps, sugar, and tea to a king thousands of miles away across the ocean who has no understanding of the life that we live? That just doesn't make practical sense. And it's of course much deeper than that. And, but as I said, as we're running out of time, I I just wanted to touch on it. Another one, volunteerism, um, says means people helping people, of course. Um, but the idea of volunteerism is a, is a, is not an exclusive thing to the United States. Um, but we seem to do it better than everywhere else in the world. Every time there's a massive disaster or some tragedy that befalls some area of the world, it is the United States that steps up in a mighty way to offer assistance, aid, and and comfort to those in need. We've seen it with the uh, we saw it with the um, with the the tsunami that hit Phuket, Thailand. The you know the first people on scene was the American Navy. We've seen it in a, a multitude of various. Uh, disasters around the world. When when tragedy strikes, it's the U.S. that shows up, and it's the the American people that donate um, just overwhelmingly generously to these various causes, to the tunes of millions and oftentimes billions of dollars, to 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 help uh, recover uh, and to help uh, work through the various tragedies, um, and that is also true. Of the founding fathers, it was it was a volunteer army. Many of the men who fought against Great Britain in the Revolutionary War, that of course, like I said, as we celebrated the Fourth of July and Independence Day, was the the they were people who who did it not for uh, pay. Of course, many of them were paid, and and even a few, um, you know, the story of of um, Benedict Arnold. You know, for him, part of the story of betrayal was that he wasn't getting paid for what he had done and, and what he had volunteered for. But the in the end, it was it was the volunteers, it was the people who said, I will step up, I will do what needs to be done to accomplish the task, regardless of my own compensation. Um it was part it was partly the passion of the volunteers that got the job done against the career soldiers of the British Army in 1776 and, and during and throughout 
the Revolutionary War. So as we, uh, there's more to it, of course, and like I said, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear your ideas as to what the the uh, the founding principles of the United States were, the core values of us as a nation. You can find us in um, in Telegram. You can find us on the various uh, social media outlets, all those sorts of things, and be a part of uh, the experience. So anyway, um, this has been The Schmidt Show. I have been your host. And as we wrap things up here, um, I thank you. And I ask humbly for your support. Uh, we don't have big name sponsors. We don't have hundreds of thousands of downloads every week or anything like that. So uh, if you can help us out and help us continue to make this uh, podcast a reality and maybe even turn it into a nationally syndicated show, uh, head on over to Patreon and help us out. We'll see you next week. I'm Brad Schmidt. This has been The Schmidt Show. The Schmidt Show.